Hello everyone, welcome back to A Plot of Confusion. I'm your host, Derek. And I figured tonight that I would uh, share my testimony. Uh, in this day and time, I think that anything that we can share about Jesus really needs to be done so. But my testimony may be different from what you've heard before from other people's testimonies. I'm going to start off with a little bit of my life. Uh, my mom was married to my biological father. And they had a good time when it came to drugs and pot. And they would do this stuff and not think of the consequences, but there was consequences. And then you have one that decides, wait a second, I'm pregnant, I've got to... I'm I'm now having to uh, provide for not just me, but for this baby to send me. And so from there, the dynamics of my mom and my biological father's relationship shifted. She felt that they needed to, in some ways, grow up. And he felt that he didn't need a change from what he was. And in doing so, you have a now unequally yoked marriage. And they're fighting. Um, he did become very aggressive, became very hostile, um, very abusive to my mom, to myself. But my mom stuck it out because she was raised that, hey, you know, um, you don't get a divorce because it's hard. You, you don't get a divorce at all. I mean, no one in my family at that time had ever had a divorce or anything like that, and my mom felt that she was supposed to keep this marriage together. And in some ways, she was also told by the church ministers the same thing. Now, my mom wasn't a saint. She had her problems. She had her own personal demons that I think she still deals with today. But I think that at the time, she was trying to do what she thought was right. And she stuck it out until my younger brother was born. My younger brother was born. The attention of that aggression, that anger that was towards her, towards me, uh, was now being towards a second child. One of which I've always questioned if our biological father ever wanted to have kids in the first place. So right here you're looking at a thing that... that the Bible talks about generational curses. His father was an alcoholic. My my mom's father at the time, till he came to know Jesus Christ, was an alcoholic. And so they had seen this uh, as they were growing up, and alcohol was the thing that could be, be used to, I guess, hide their feelings washed their, their doubts and frustrations away, and all it did was, was add to it. And then you throw in drugs such as acid, mushrooms, heroin, cocaine. I mean, not just pot. It, it become a little bit of a cesspool of everything. 
And when you have that mixed up in this and you're trying to get your life on the right path, trying to, and the other one, your other partner is not, that becomes hostilities and demons can come in and, and influence. And that's exactly what happened in my family. So when my brother was born, my mom finally was like, enough's enough. I can't let another child be treated and live in this, this environment. And so my mom, one night, packed up our bags. And uh, we had to leave because what had ended up happening at the same time is my my biological father, I mean, as a kid, as a kid, I mean, before I even was in kindergarten, man, I already knew what a, how to roll a joint, how to help my dad with his his, uh, his box of tricks that he had, you know, um, to help him out with when I used to ride in the truck with him on the little Debbie trucks and stuff. So, I mean, you know, uh, as a young child, I already... This was commonplace. This was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a kid. I'm handling this stuff. This is common. This is just, you know, uh, medicine that that's being given to my biological father. You know, that's that was my mindset. And you know, I will say he didn't try. I mean, he, you know, he'd been admitted into the hospital to, um, to try and come um, off of these drugs. But they had just graveled, graveled to him and rooted into him so deeply that uh, he really didn't know how to let him fully go. Or he was scared to let him go. I don't know which one it was, but in my eyes as a child, um, I realized that he loved those things more than he loved me and he had gone away um and finally and he was come back home uh i hadn't seen him in a while and he shows back up and this is right before my mom finally says enough is enough where she's getting out of here she's got our bags packed she's just you know she doesn't know where he is so she's like i'll stay i could stay here maybe he's gone maybe you know uh, Lord forbid, but he's somewhere in a gutter somewhere, you know, this was the mindset that was, you know, that was the example of parenting that I got to see. And, um, from there, um, he shows back up and he is blitzed out of his mind completely he's not behind the wheel anymore but the, the the what i've now come to understand the the you know the entities can take control and that's what happened and i remember he came in and he came into the den and he backhanded my mom told her to sit in the chair and he said boy come here and I was just a little fella. He says, I want to get rid of both our problems, which is your mom. And I sat there, and I didn't understand what he was saying. And 
he says, now I want you to go into the bedroom and I want you to go get my gun. And I want you to bring it out here. We're going to take care of this problem that we both have. I was confused. Standing there. I look at my mom. And he looks and yells at me. He says, oh, don't you look at her, you look at me. I'm talking to you. And when I talk to you, you listen. What did I tell you to do? He grabs hold of me. And he says, answer me. And I said, you told me to go into the closet to your bedroom. And I'll, I'll go get what you wanted. And I didn't realize that my mom had knew that something was, he was coming unhinged more and more. And she had gotten rid of the guns. And I didn't know this. And, um... He had just become completely un, un, unhinged. I mean, showed up at a birthday party. Just for, I was at a, a birthday party. Never gotten really invited to another birthday party because he shows up drunk and belligerent. Um, and so this was a moment in which his something had changed more in him. And I remember going into the closet, and I remember opening up the door, and I used to have this picture that was in there. It was of this tiger. It was black, and the tiger's orange came out of the blackness, and you got to see its face. And I remember sit, standing there looking at this artwork, looking at this painting as a kid. And I knew exactly where his guns were. They were on the other side of the painting. So I um, looked behind them and they weren't there. And then I was like terrified of what he was going to do. I remember coming out. And I remember him saying, boy, what did I send you in there for? I told him it wasn't there. So he hit me. Got up. Says, I'll just do it myself. You're just like your mother. You're useless. So I got, he, he got up, knocked me down. Came out of that room in a rage that I had never seen before. I had seen him lose his temper. And I had seen how, at a young age, how the church had failed us because they're telling my mom to be a godly woman, and her own mom is telling her to be a godly woman. You've got to stay in this marriage. Not knowing the hell that was going on in, in the house. Not that my mom, when she was all bruised up, wouldn't leave the house, would stay home. That my uh, biological father's mother, my grandmother, would come to get us as the kids for a little bit so she could go get treated. And he just comes out like this raging lunatic.
And he's like, what did you do with them? And he's yelling. What did you do with them? What did you do with them? And I had seen where men of God were come to witness to him and, you know, come running out. They would run out of the house because, I mean, he was just, that was, he he had something. And, and, and men of God feared him. And I'd seen this. And he, you know, um, I just know that that night, my mom shielded me. She took what she, she could handle till he passed out. She came into the room. She woke me up, got my younger brother, and we, uh, we left. We left that night. I'm not sharing with you everything because there's just some things that um that I just personally don't want to rehash, but that's to give you this understanding of where I came from and seeing you know men of God being terrorized or terrified to even come and witness to him. To even come in, to even pray with, or or to even help my mother get out of the situation. Instead of, and so I saw her being told to stay in something that was, again, a living hell and the church and the preachers are telling her to endure it to endure it and then she finally realizes that she can't endure it anymore and that she has to get out of it it goes against her core beliefs her core upbringing to get away And to see people look down upon her. Because she didn't just tough it out. So at a young age I was taught that this is how men treated women. And that. The church only cared. What it looked like on the outside. They didn't care what was going on in the inside. They only wanted the persona of you working through it. And so from there, and uh, being told that, you know, at the same time, finding out that, you know, Santa Claus isn't real. And I thought this was funny. Cause for me, it was like, wait a second. These people that are from the church are saying, stay with the man that is acting this way to you and your children. And yet, they have us do a Christmas, Christmas thing at the church, and you have Santa Claus show up, and, you know, if you're good all year long, this man comes into your house, leaves you gifts for being good, and then he goes away. Because he knows who's naughty and nice, but yet... 
when I found out he didn't exist and seen how the, the law of the church of, of not really addressing the problem, which was a spiritual problem and a substance problem for my biological father, instead of helping out that way, I was like, wait a second, you're telling me Santa Claus doesn't exist? And uh, sit there and be like, wait, you're telling me that, that this guy that, I, that knows me all year long, if I'm good or bad, brings me gills once a year, if I'm good or bad. Depends on how, how, how I act, how well I am. And you're telling me that he doesn't exist, but this other invisible man who doesn't give me anything, who I have prayed to and I have not heard him answer my prayers, anything like this. I mean, this was my mindset that if, if Santa was fake, then so was God. And so that was my mindset. I didn't know who Jesus was or anything like that. You know, I had gone to church and I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't know, I didn't know who, I didn't know Jesus at all. I never had, you know, it ever be taught to me that Jesus was um, the one that dies for our sins, the one that was resurrected, the one that is the only way to the Father. I had never heard any of this. And I had been, by the time I was 12 years old, and we were going through a thing called VBS, that's called Vacation Bible School, where they put you in this thing during the summertime, and they're supposed to teach you the Bible. And all my friends are going to it, so I have to go to it. All my mom's friends are going to having their kids go to it. So guess what? I've got to go to it because, hey, we're trying to now say, hey, we're, we're you know, yeah, my mom's going through a divorce. She got out of an abusive relationship, but she's going to give all her attention to uh, this invisible man that didn't answer my prayers and didn't listen to me. And I believed in him and I cried out to him, but I didn't see anything and didn't have any help. And so, my mind was confused. So at the age of twelve, they have this thing where you know all everybody's coming to say they they are Christians and they're going to get before the church and they're going to get baptized and all. My, everyone else was doing it, so I was like, well, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. So I follow along and say, yeah, 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 I believe in God and all this, and you know, I get a Bible. And, you know, all this, and I'm uh, um, given, you know, I'm, I'm following everyone else's lead. But I don't know who Jesus is. I am completely and absolutely oblivious to who the Messiah is. I don't have a clue, but yet I'm being baptized into the church, into this, this cycle that as long as we get you baptized and we have you proclaim that you believe in God, then you're saved and you're good and everything's going to be great and wonderful for you. But that's not the truth. It's not the truth at all. I said it was to the contrary. And by this time, I, uh, man, going down my story with my biological father. Biological father comes and gets us out of school. He kidnaps us for a while. We're literally on the run from the law because he's around. He's come and taking me and my younger brother when we're finally in school. Shows up, picks us up. Um, 
And, you know, that becomes this whirlwind of a, of a nightmare where I'm sleeping in, well, he's with his friends and cousins as they're getting high at the, and the bonfire and running around, we're laying on paper, uh, newspapers to try and keep ourselves warm. Till we're finally found. And we're brought back to my mom. But, so, and then she doesn't want to press charges, so he kind of gets off with that. And they have an agreement that under supervision of his mom and his sister, we would be allowed to go and see, and he would be allowed to see us. He said, I did this because I wasn't allowed to see my, my sons. And so they go to court, they work this out, and now I'm I'm being told by my mom who left this man, who, you know, literally left this man so that I or she wouldn't be be abused or, or, or go through that heartache of being um, abused and that she got out of that relationship. She's now telling me, yeah, the guy that, that, that kidnapped you and you were on the run with him, we've worked it out now that he's going to be allowed to see y'all and you got to go there every other weekend. And again, I'm looking, going to myself, going, wait a second. You left him because he was abusive. And, you know, he, he had a drug and alcohol problem. But because I'm going to be with my grandmother and my aunt, I'm safe. So at this time, especially around 12, from 10, from 8 to 12, man, that was some of my most confusing years. And I sit here and I'm going. So I said, okay. So I agreed to it. And I, uh, I've been told in this VBS that you're supposed to tell people about God. And in doing so, he will open a door for them. So I'm thinking, okay, this is where all my friends and their families, you know, they're, they're not going through divorce. Their parents are still married. They're dead. They seem to be happy. Um, so maybe if I tell my dad, my biological father, about this God, that, that maybe, you know, he'll... Uh, latch on to it and then life will get I will have a normal life like other kids now he had been in the occult and other things I didn't know this at the time but later on in life I found out that he had been into these other things of cults and you had Satanism and all this other stuff and I was like I was like completely oblivious this to it till t at this time. I had no idea, and I was sitting there, and I'm sitting, and I'm talking to him. Our relationship was getting a little bit better. He was getting the help he needed, but man, when I brought up the fact of saying, "Hey, you know, I gave my life to God," at a VBS, that man that I saw that was just as dark and evil as could be came out of him.
And he said there and said, there are many gods. How do you think that was the right path? What makes you think that's all the answers? What makes you think that's the true path? And I didn't know how to answer him. couple years later, by the time I'm 14, um, by the courts, they finally allowed uh, me to make a decision if I wanted to keep going down and, and being, you know, uh, there. And I said, no, I don't. I don't think it's safe for my younger brother to be there. Uh, the courts allow me to stay back. Um, doesn't get any better. My mom, by this time, has already married a man. Uh, again, she's been remarried. And uh, he was a Marine. But he wasn't like any man I saw. He didn't drink. He didn't um, hit. Um, yes, he fussed. Yes, he argued. But he, you know, he didn't do the same things that I saw my biological father do. He was complete, that was completely ironic and confusing by him. And he would say he was a Christian. I really didn't know what that was. Even though I've gone to VBS and all my friends and everybody's going down and we all talked about this. And, and we, yes, trust me, he made sure we went to church every Sunday. There was not a time we were not in church. It was, you're going to church no matter what, you're going to church. And, you know, so that's being kind of like hammered into me. You know, I now have a stepbrother who's older than me and he gets to my bedroom I'm having to go and live with my uh, share a bedroom with my younger brother, and it's like my whole world's getting turned upside down. All this stuff and all this emotion, all this rage is building up inside of me, and I'm not realizing how you know how much this is growing inside of me to the point where I'm a I'm I'm really don't know if I'm going to be able to contain it any longer. And so, and so with that, I'm sitting here, and my stepfather recognizes that I've got this anger and this, this building up inside on me, and so he's decided, he says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign you up for football. So he signs me up for football, and that does help me at a time to get my anger out, my frustration, my um, aggression. And it does help me. But I'm still confused spiritually. I'm still confused by, you know, this man is still your father, is your biological father. You got to make some type of relationship with him. And to me, I'm like, wait a second. My mom was married to him. They were supposed to be in a relationship. She chose to opt out of that relationship. Why can't I? That was my mindset. Why can't I? Why can I not just check out like she did? Why do I have to go into this? Um, my His mom, my grandmother, and my aunt, uh, they were good to us. They did everything they could to make sure that we had a childhood, and they really did. But they were always in fights with my mom. And in those fights, my grandmother would turn around because of me. Uh, she would end up taking that frustration out on me. 
Um, and in all honesty, you know, I, I look back at it and I see the pattern of behavior and I'm, I'm going, well, no wonder this is how my biological father, this is how he was treated. So this is how he uh, came to understand this is how you deal with uh, frustrations and, and stuff is by being aggressive. So from there, um, I like checked out at the age of 14. Um, my, my family doesn't know, but that was around the same time that I had, uh, decided to try and commit suicide for the first time. Um, no one in my family even knows that I have contemplated that thought, but I was pretty much just checked out. I mean, I, it was, I was just, I had a good girlfriend, really good girl, but I have not seen how you're supposed to really, I had only seen these two perspectives and I was like, well, I, uh, if I'm not hitting her and not doing those things that my biological father did to my mom, then I must be doing good. Not realizing that, you know, I was always talking her down. I was, I cheated on her. I did all these things and, and, you know, and to me that was normal because, Hey, my biological father cheated on my mom. I mean, heck, he took me to one of the ladies' houses that he was having an affair with, and I ended up having a sister that I've never met. Because she doesn't have anything to do with uh, his side of the family. But I have a sister out there that I've never met. And so... And then you're thrown into the whole thing with church. And by this time, I was so confused and didn't know, you know, spiritually really anything, you know. And I and I hadn't even shared the parts where, where the house that we lived in that was also had paranormal activity that happened in it, but that's not even a part of this, this story here. But that comes into the idea, you know, how I had a hard time understanding um, the whole God, the Spirit, and all this it was just confusing. So I just I was just wrapped up in this emotion of anger and rage. Anger and rage. I worked out every day. I uh, went to practice every day. Uh, you know, but then I was getting in fights. And um, I was five foot six, and there's a lot of other bigger guys than me, and it was always like, let's pick on the shorty, and then some of the guys that I play football would be like, uh, you don't want to mess with him. He, 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 yeah, he's, um, he's unhinged, <laughs> if you catch my, my meaning, because that was how I, how I had been, how I, people portrayed me, I mean, they were like, hey, you know, he's, 
you mess with him, you're going to get, you know, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, he's going to F you up. That was the, the mindset of my mind. Um, and so from, from there, football becomes everything to me. I mean, I live it, I breathe it, I sleep with it. Um, it becomes my end. It, it becomes my, my, in all honesty, it becomes my idol. It becomes my God. And I didn't realize it. It, it, it become my God. That, um, I didn't understand what that meant. And by this time I've done with my biological father's side of the family and, and him completely done. And my mom's family wasn't any better. I mean, they, they really weren't. Um, and my mom wasn't any better either. Uh, but my stepdad, I knew he cared. I, 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 knew, I knew he cared for us. I really did. And, you know, he was the first person to ever tell me he was proud of me. No one. I, I, that didn't happen until I was almost 16 years old. And um, someone actually tells me they're proud of me. I was shocked. And then my whole world comes crashing down before me. I burnt my bridges with a lot of my uh, friends by cheating, having their girls cheat, cheat on them with me or, you know, my arrogance, my, my pride, my whatever. And by this time, the girl that I've been dating and cared for, she finally had gotten enough of it and enough of me. And um, it was like one roller coaster after another roller coaster after another roller coaster, and then I was like, "Wow, this is it. This is my life. Go to school, football, and drink." Not realizing that the man that that. I never wanted to be like I was now becoming. I was now coming into that generational curses that the Bible talks about without me even knowing I was becoming him. And then my whole world come to a screeching halt. Sophomore year, Going out for football. Did the practices. Knew I hadn't been feeling good all summer long. My my weight lifting, the number my numbers were going down. Couldn't figure out what was going wrong with me, what was happening. My time on track and my time um on the field was again was falling back. Coaches were thinking I was just being lazy and slack, and I'm like, I'm giving it all I can. I'm giving it all I can. I don't know what's going on. So, sophomore year, before school starts, I get sick. I'm supposed to go to school, supposed to be at school. I'm sick. And my mom 
sister and says, you know, you need to get up and go to school. And I was just, I just couldn't move. And she says, okay, you just, you know, you, you, you're going to have to get your act together, get your head at you, but, and start making something of yourself. And I, I literally, they left me and I, they left me at the house. My, my mom, my stepdad, my younger brother, my older brother by this time was already out and was in the military. And uh, I, I literally have to crawl to the door and, and crawl into my car. And I drive myself to the doctor's because I'm coughing up blood and I am not doing good. And I can't breathe. So I get to the doctor's and, you know, my mom by this time was ready to kick me out. Um, she threatened to do it numerous times. Her and I were always butting heads with, against each other because I was like, you're a hypocrite. That was my mindset of my mom. She was a hypocrite. And I was there and I had a doctor, um, Dr. Taylor was his name, and he says, you know, we've been treating you for a hernia for a while now. He says, let's take an x-ray and just look what's going on in your esophagus. So they take an x-ray. And then he comes back in the room and he says, you know what? Can you get hold of one of your parents? And I said, get hold of my mom. She's not, she's at the bank. She's not that far from here. He says, you do that. You're just going to get, they'll let you use the phone up, up at the front. So I make my way up to the front, call my mom. And, um, yeah, this is before cell phones and all this other jazz. Uh, I'm a Generation X kid. Uh, so I call her and I said, my, you know, I'm at the doctor's. Why are you at the doctor's? Well, I didn't feel good. And you want me to get to go where I go to school and I need to find out what's wrong with me. I don't feel good. I said, I think it might be something with the insurance or want you to come down. Can you come down? She's like, well, I can take my lunch break. And so she leaves and she comes to find out what was going on. And Dr. Taylor says, well, I, I like to talk to your mom alone. And my mom's like, well, he's, he's in charge of his diet. He's you know, he's in football. So anything that you're going to tell him about his body that he needs to do or whatever is, you know, just go ahead and say it in front of him. And the doctor said, are you, you're, are you sure? And my mom was like, yeah, because, I mean, all, all it's going to end up doing is it's going to turn around and I'm going to have to um, turn around and I'm going to have to tell him what you tell me. So just go ahead and and uh, just going to tell us, and he puts this the X-ray up, and I'm looking at it, and I am I am not understanding what I'm seeing, and my mom doesn't really either, and she goes, okay, he says, well, you see this dark mass right here? This shouldn't exist at all. My mom says, what is it? And he says, well, we really don't know unless we do some more tests. It could just be where he broke his ribs because uh, we do see that he had his ribs broken and they were uh, fractured and, and uh, were healing. Um, it could just be a blood clot that we would just need to go and, you know, take, drain out and do what we need to do or a really bad brute, you know, uh, of that area. So then I go down this path and all of a sudden, you know, lo and behold, I'm going to these appointments and 
going to the doctors and, and lo and behold, people that like my biological father that had nothing else to do with me, uh, my younger brother and everybody else is now showing up and all these people are showing up and none of them have ever really showed up there for me in the first place and I'm going to have these tests done. I'm like, why is everybody showing up? If it's just something like a blood clot will get take care of it's like an alien they'll just take it out of me because i love the movie alien so i said i got an alien inside on me they're just going to take it out and that was my mindset and uh on august 23rd i got a phone call after me having all the tests i need a biopsies and everything Comes back and I have cancer. I didn't even know what cancer was. <laughs> Not really. Because no one ever heard of it, really. Where I was, In my area, I was the first person. It was like, in this community. What is cancer? I mean, people... I mean, people, when, when it came out, I had cancer, and I was wanting to go back to school. The parents were going to school, and the school board was saying, don't let this kid back because we don't know if that's contagious. I mean, this is honestly how people in the area I lived perceived cancer. They didn't know what it really was, and I didn't either. And then I was told that I had uh, approximately six months year the cancer I had is very rare and it's not found in the area that we have it on your son and we can learn a lot if he if y'all agree to letting us learn from him we can learn a lot about this cancer that we've never really been able to study before Uh, we're not going to be able to save his life, but we can, through medicines, prolong his life. But the decision has to be up to you. So my biological father decides he wants to chime in and, and, and say his piece. My mom wants to chime in and say her piece, but it was my stepdad that sat there and said, none of us is going through this. He's got to go through this. It's his choice. All of us just need to shut the up and let him make that decision. I said, I'm confused. I don't know what this means, but what does that mean I have to do? Say, so, well, you're going to go through what's chemotherapy and it's going to be, it's going to make you sick. It's going to make you weak. It's going to make you the weakest you've ever felt. And so, I agree to it. We went, everybody goes back to their home. Everybody gets to go back to their lives. I get to go back home. And as I'm walking, my, my stepdad grabs me by the shoulder. He hugs me. And he says, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. It shocked me. He always patted me, but hugs were not a thing I start walking I walk by and I hear my mom and I'm, I stop and I back up and I look and I see she's crying and she's on her knees and she's pleading to God 
that take the cancer out of me and put it in her. That she should have been a better mother and all this other. And I sat there and I shook my head and I went to my bedroom. So I told God, if you're real, with all the stuff that I've gone through and all this anger and rage that I have and everything I've gone through and all this stuff, I've never seen my mom cry. My mom got beat, I never saw her cry. If you're real, if you're really real, not like Santa Claus, not this fictitious, but if you're real, then don't let me see my mom cry for me like that again. And I'll tell the world, I'll tell the whole world what you've done for me. Not realizing he was going to take me up on that offer. Not realizing that Jesus was going to tell me who he was. It wasn't the church that told me about Jesus. It was Jesus that told me about Jesus. And I go down this path, chemotherapy, radiation. My life is turned upside down. I'm losing, going to lose scholarships. I'm going to lose any perks that I had in football. I'm going to lose, I lose it all. I lose every bit of it. I lose all my friends who I thought were my friends. I, I, lo I lose it all. I have nothing. I have no one anymore. And I'm going, this cancer's taking everything from me. It's taking my life, my friends, everything from me. I've got nothing left. But God was there every step of the way. Where I should have died, Jesus was there. When they expected me to die, I was still going. It had become into the high, and I didn't even know this, that the hospital and the nurses and everything were like, I don't know how is this kid still going? And by this time, I had decided my grandmother uh, had taken me to a Christian bookstore and got me a Bible. And um, at this time, I was like, I was reading as much as I could in the scriptures and trying to get to know more and more about God and who he was and Jesus and finally, you know, coming to understand who Jesus was and by this time, I had already, I never had it where I was in church. There was supposed to be this professional faith and be baptized, but I didn't know who Jesus was. Now, I'm fighting for my life and cancer, and I, I now have seen all these other religions and, and done all these other things, and none of it's worked for me, so I'm going to give Jesus a shot, and Jesus is working. I don't expect to live. I don't expect to die. I have... That's not my outlook at this time. My outlook at this time is I need to change who I am. And I need to make up to all the people I have wronged. That I need to find forgiveness 
and need to seek forgiveness from others for what I had done to them. And so in that, I go for a while. That is my goal. My goal is to make amends. And I'm doing what I feel in my heart to do. And one of my one of my friends, she came up to me and she said there she says, You know, I don't say this because I don't love you. I'm telling you this because I do love you. But the best thing that ever happened to you is you got cancer. Because the person you are today is not the person you were. So that's what it is when you finally get out of religion. Get out of the ideas that religion puts to you that tells you how you're supposed to have your faith, how you're supposed to believe, and actually actually get into just his word and read it. And you throw all that junk away that everyone else is telling you, to, this is how you're supposed to live your life. This is how you're supposed to worship. This is how you're supposed to act. Throw that all out and just open up a Bible and start reading it for yourselves. Just, just read it for yourselves. For another reason, and it's for you and a relationship with Jesus. And I'll tell you something. You will be able to overcome some of the biggest obstacles in your life. Life is not going to get better or or all the bad is going to go away when you become a believer in Jesus Christ. No, it's going to get hard. And you're going to go through that valley of shadow of death. You're going to see where you have friends that come up to you and, and they act like, you know, like the Satan did. He says in Second Corinthians chapter um, eleven, verse fourteen, he says, "And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed, changes himself into an angel of light." So you got where the the church is showing you this perception, but it's not showing you the relationship, and it's been influenced. And then I come to this passage, in the twelfth chapter. Verse 9 out of 2 Corinthians. And he, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, theref- most gladly therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproach and necessities, persecutions and distress. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. I had, I had been in the tip-top shape. I had been, we'd gotten letters and stuff from colleges. And, you know, I was being groomed for this. And I was in the peak of the shape. I mean, I, my, I was in the peak form of health. And yet cancer was able to come in. And take that all the way. And then I realized it wasn't my strength and my physical strength that I needed to rely on. I needed to rely on Christ's strength because now I am at my weakest state. I'm at the weakest point in my life. And no matter what I've had to go through from the beginning of my life and what has been done with to me by my biological family to where I am today, I need I needed to understand that through that weakness was how Christ was being glorified. And I didn't even know this. I didn't know that people were looking at me and saying, wait a second, something's happened. What's changing him? Why is he different? Was I perfect? No. Did I still have anger? Yes. 
But I knew that I wanted to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in doing so, not even realizing it, he was going to introduce me to my future wife. He was going to introduce me to a life and a road that everyone else would look at and be like, that's the worst thing ever. And I look back on it saying, thank you, Jesus, for letting me go through it every step of the way. Yes, I deal with depression. I've dealt with suicidal thoughts still. Those things still creep in. It's only when I lose my focus and my relationship with Jesus is when those things start to take over. So you've always got to stay in a relationship with Jesus. Not a religion. Not rituals. Not seance. No this other stuff. It's just have a relationship. Read his word. Live it daily. And then when you have a cancer that is told to you that is inoperable, there's no way they can get rid of it, that Jesus Christ will be the one that, as long as you understand that Jesus Christ is your center, that if you die, like Paul says, to die is to be present with the Lord. So you got to have that mindset that this life, this life is given to us so that we can show others his love. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, whether you live or die, it depends on your relationship. And if you have a good relationship with the Lord, you won't mind if you do. Eventually, you do pass away you knew you ran the course. You did the run. You you ran it to the end. Or if God blesses you like he has with me with 30 plus years that I shouldn't have had that I do have and I've been given, that you don't squander them. You're going to go through those hardships. You're going to go through those heartaches. And when I lost sight of my relationship with Christ, yeah, I ended up back in the hospital. And that'll be for a future story, a future testimony. So I knew I have to get back right. And in doing so, it's the reason why I did this. It's like I told my wife, I'm getting back to the basics. Getting back to what God had asked me to do. And that is share my relationship with him, with you. God bless. Take care.